Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson. Could not be thrilled any more than I am right now to be right back with you going back through, again, some labor stuff because we just cannot get away from it. That's what baseball is, Major League Baseball is, right now. And before we get too deep into the topic, if you could leave us five stars and a kindly comment, it would do wonders for our hearts and for other people ultimately being able to join in on these conversations in the coming weeks. And as the season eventually gets started, assuming we do have one, uh, which right now is a bit of a touchy situation given that the league has come back with a proposal most recently, Ken Rosenthal was detailing this on Twitter just a few minutes ago, uh, and players are beginning to be discouraged. Let's say that. That's that's how, how Rosenthal's source cites his feelings at the moment. And one thing that might contrast that, but we'll have to see how legitimate it does so, how legitimately it approaches that contrast, is uh, Andrew Brandt, having had his Sunday 7 newsletter come out just this past Sunday, uh, where... If you're not familiar, Andrew Brandt is an NFL name. He ran the Packers for about a decade. He ran a pro football club before that. He's done about a billion things since then. He's on the Ross Tucker Podcast Network. He is on ESPN for various things. He does a Twitch broadcast from a, a front office perspective for football games. He teaches at the Villanova School of Law for sports law. He does everything. Uh, and he reads. He has this Sunday 7 newsletter where he gives you seven things that he's been thinking about that week. And this week's included Major League Baseball's collective bargaining issues. And given as uh, his experience as a player agent and then a, a team executive, he really does see both ends of the spectrum. And he has an adage uh, that deadlines spur action. And he says it did not come true here as baseball owners and the Players Association were unable to come to terms on a new collective bargaining agreement after not one, but two deadlines passed this past week. He says, he goes on and says, uh, I am surprised that there were no major systemic changes that were even part of the negotiation, nothing involving a salary cap or required years of free agency at all from the players. They weren't demanding those things at all. These were not systemic changes, is what he's getting at. He also talks about how the gulf between the big issues, the competitive balance, tax, minimum salary, the pool of money for players with two plus years of service is not large, but no deal came as we all know at this point. That the public rained down specifically on MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, which means that as NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, Manfred is doing exactly what his constituents, the owners, want him to do, taking the heat and the bullets so they don't have to. Despite the finger-pointing from both sides, Brent continues, I still think there will be a deal, and soon after a predictable cooling-off period, I predict the sides will reconvene and wrap this up in a couple of weeks. They are too close not to. This is where I'm not sure that Andrew is maybe aware of the dynamics in MLB where the owners have willingly taken things from the game, or, I mean, I guess we could be really glib and say that, you know, they, they've really kind of treated the game like a carcass and they're picking it over as, as vultures. And that, that's kind of the, some of the dynamic of ownership we've seen in the last few years, especially very much seen like a private equity approach to it. Um, and so let's let's keep kind of pushing through here and understanding what the dynamic is, whose dynamic 
is really driving the discussions or lack thereof and what might be coming next because we are starting to get a sense for who in negotiations on the ownership side is holding things up. We had this come out over the weekend that Angels owner Artie Marino, D-backs owner Ken Kendrick, Reds owner Bob Castellini, and Tigers owner Chris Illich all opposed to proposing a $220 million CBT threshold. These four teams have six playoff appearances between them in the last decade. You are talking about 40 eligible seasons here. These four teams have six playoff appearances in the last decade combined. You're also looking at most of those appearances coming closer to 10 years ago than not. A whole wave of development has washed over baseball since then. And if the strategy is to compete by building slowly because you purportedly can't afford to pay for talent if you are one of these such teams who has gone through these slower rebuilds, who has not been able to supplement appropriately the absolute megastar power of the likes of Mike Trout and so on, then your plans haven't been working. And it's not the fault of the teams willing to spend. And maybe it's nobody's fault. Maybe baseball is just tremendously hard, but you can't ultimately hold other people accountable for your shortcomings and not look ridiculous in this context. The fact that the voting rules don't don't need a, a big chunk of teams, right? They need like seven teams to really throw a wrench into things in terms of these negotiations. These are four of them. These are four teams who have not been wildly successful, but have been at least in the standings, but have been wildly successful in business because all teams have been wildly successful in business. We just saw Atlanta's financials come out as a publicly held group. And what little we could see, there was strong evidence that they made money last year, lots of it. And yeah, that happened on the back of maybe a playoff run and that happened maybe on the back of a World Series title. But that's also what happens when you happen to get two potentially Hall of Fame, if not generational talents, the likes of Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies and even Freddie Freeman as a, as a veteran of that status and caliber. The bottom line is that these four teams, acting as they are, are in the way. They are an impediment to people getting baseball. And I'm not sure if that quite sinks in for the majority of fans, that these four teams are representative of a small minority that is ultimately getting in the way of us having Major League Baseball. Because ultimately, nobody is as affluent as owners without understanding how such wealth translates to power. They are not powerless the way these owners are saying they are, or in pretty much any other conceivable way. But we are, of course, concerned with the baseball facts. They are not powerless. They are not really able to get across that players are asking for too much, that what they want is improbable improper, unrealistic. It's just ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous because they're the ones creating this situation. They are the ones who benefited so well last CBA. They are the ones who don't want to give an inch back this time because they got so far ahead last time and they want to keep things going. We see these quotes being paraded around. Well, if we take money away from this level of player or this age of player, then it's going to be an imbalance and you know what the the what the union has to do is really 
conceive of who they want to lose because the middle class players will be taken out in this and they won't get the benefit. Something that we need to consider here is that one of the very premises and one of the very functions of a union is not that everybody gets the best deal. It's that the most people get the best deal and as soon as possible for the future too. So it's not that there won't be losers. It's that we want to have as few as possible. And what ownership and ownership spin through media figures is putting out there right now with the idea that certain groups of players will miss out and that's not really fair and that's what they want, a fair deal. It's also malarkey and nonsense because ultimately they don't want to pay anybody and they're using this narrative that, well, we can't shut out these people without telling you they have a plan or a willingness to shut out other types of player and other levels and other age groups of players. Ultimately, ownership is just attempting to get something more for each additional perceived concession that they make anyway, right? They want to frame themselves as the good guys. They want to frame themselves as being reasonable, even though they instituted the lockout and waited weeks and weeks before even acknowledging that it existed, that we should, hey, maybe try to negotiate through this. And one such example of conceiving, uh, conceding something here, very different in terms of conceiving, they might actually have a new idea that could help, but that's not happening so far. They say, ownership does, that they'll raise the CBT if players accept a lower bonus pool for pre-art players. So the players came down from $85 million to $80 million, a difference of $5 million. Probably not a ton and probably not moving the need a lot, but when you have a group that you are negotiating with, big air quotes, big generous air quotes around negotiating there, right? Because we know that the owners are not truly negotiating and have not truly been negotiating for some time now. When they're going to ask for as much as they are, you would have a natural leeriness or disposition about you that is suspicious of anything they're offering you because of their history, right? Even we had that Ross Stripling quote saying that ownership was trying to sneak things in under this predetermined deadline that they instituted again to try to spur action, even though they didn't really go about the process in earnest. So the sense is that this $5 million is not enough, that the owners aren't giving a number though, publicly at least, but the impression that $5 million is not nearly enough and you need to do better. It's like, well, do we? Because you maybe need to engage this much of the process, this part of the process. This is passive leverage in action from ownership. They don't have to give a number in this context, and they know it. And they would much rather that the union negotiate for them against themselves as a union. Ultimately, what ownership wants here and what they're trying to give up is a streamlined or rather get in return for being so uh, benevolent as to have a, a CBT that's somewhat moderately agreeable is they want a streamlined process for implementing rule changes, which would have to happen uh, by the commissioner implementing them within 45 days of the season ending. So the language there is very vague, and that's what they want. Because if they get vague language here as they desire, a guy like Rob Manfred, who repeatedly goes to bat for these owners because he knows who signs his checks, can implement rules without having to negotiate them with the union. This is a sidestep measure. This is a measure to eliminate part of the union and its reason for existing, the idea that the owners would put out there as an olive branch, purported olive branch, explicitly stated olive branch to get this thing going and get everybody back to where they deserve and what they deserve. 
is also something that would deeply undercut having to have any sort of relationship with any sort of union. So, naturally, again, as players, you might be a little bit hesitant with this. Typically, the rule changes would be things like the pitch clock, the bigger bases. But again, this this ownership group is a group that has demonstrated a willingness to exploit the nature of an agreement by asking for carte blanche here in return for a CBT threshold raised probably less than the players are ultimately asking, which would only be used by a small handful of teams anyway, if recent history is any indication. And the difference on the CBT right now is $18 million. That's it. How that gets spread out over across the roster could very, could very well be different for a lot of different teams. Maybe one team goes out and spends it on one player. Maybe they spread it out among the younger guys. Maybe they look to get a couple of those mid-range or low-range free agents who can't get deals early on in an offseason. But really, who's going there? Not even the Yankees are spending at the CBT threshold, and they are a team that would want it. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, they would want a higher threshold here because they would have more incentive to spend and use their tremendous spending power to put a better team on the field. These are teams that have been among some of baseball's best. The Mets, maybe not, but definitely the Dodgers, definitely the Yankees have been among baseball's best for a long, long time. Not just recent history, but historically, right? And especially especially recent history. So if they had a chance to flex some of their own financial muscle that they're just kind of willing to acknowledge exists, right? Everybody else, all these other teams, guys like the, you know, the owners of the, the Diamondbacks and the Reds and the Tigers, wearing big baggy shirts, refusing to show that they have any strength underneath them. That's kind of what's going on here. The Yankees and those teams, those top-notch franchises willing to spend their money and flex on others a little bit is intimidating. And it's not even like the, you know, are the Reds really going to compete for a free agent with the Yankees with that $18 million difference with the threshold being lower? Do you think they're going out and looking for the next top free agent as long as it's within that $220 million budget? Absolutely not. It's nowhere even close. We could not even conceive of the Reds getting into a bidding war with the Yankees so long as it fit their budget because the Yankees' budget dwarfs that of the Cincinnati Reds. We don't have any idea of what that kind of thing would look like because we can't even think or process or entertain the idea. It's a silly bar-type topic. Oh, man, can you imagine if the Reds spend like the Yankees? Yeah, well, what would they do? What Would they bring back Castellanos? Man, that would be so great. No, and even Castellanos would be a major signing for them. That's like middle of the road for a big team like the Yankees. That in the past, not recently, but in the past, has been willing to spend, right? So, where we are at is really this kind of mm, moving toward an impasse, right? It appears as though we are moving toward a way that is making players less optimistic, that is making owners more miserly but feel more justified. And ultimately, there is a bottom line here that the players are not asking for wholesale changes, just like they weren't a week ago, a month ago, multiple months ago, probably a year ago. And we cannot help but remember our talking point from a couple episodes ago about how this is the kind of thing that happens in negotiations between two sides where one side is wildly irrational, yet has enough leverage 
to grind talks to a screeching halt. I'm talking like toddler screeching halt. I'm talking like dog seeing other dogs down the block and wanting to play screeching halt. Like it really is remarkable in the least interesting way possible, right? You think of villains and all time and who are the worst ones. It's the ones who are boring. It's the ones who don't convince you outright and right away when you see their actions immediately that they are utterly terrible. It's the ones who lull you into a sense of security or narrative that you find comfortable or comforting. It's the ones who feel as though they could position themselves to present themselves as stewards of something you really enjoy. And that way, if they can sidestep your critical thoughts, not that you wouldn't have them, but if they can sidestep them, they will. And this is why, again, this is what happens when you get a false sense of being near a deal about a week ago, like we got that the owners pushed, where we learned, you know what, really the players weren't ultimately close. They never felt close the way that we thought we might have a deal this time a week or so ago. And when you have one side that is wildly irrational, when you have one side that feeds into so much of the coverage, when you have one side that dictates so much of the storyline, that can't help but want more and more and more, no matter how much they already have, based on a massive win the last time. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Round. It's really not hard to expect or foresee coming up anywhere else in this kind of environment. This is an ownership-driven league because they wanted to be. This is an ownership-driven lockout because they wanted to be. This is uh, an anti-labor lockout because they want it to be. They're not really concerned with the progress of the game as ownership. They're not really concerned with a product as long as it can still get money. I mean, you you think about the Chicago Cubs. The Ricketts family is in talks to buy a major football club, and by football I mean soccer, over overseas. How can they afford that while also running the Cubs the way they have run them? Now, granted, they signed Marcus Stroman. They made moves that we didn't quite expect, but this is also a team that gamed Chris Bryant for the sake of being able to do it, a team that shipped off every last piece as as quickly as they could once they realized, yeah, nobody's signing here for what we will call quote-unquote fair. This is a team that really will be largely unrecognizable that was you know, running out Frank Schwindel and uh, Patrick Wisdom and Rafael Ortega. Fine players, but not guys that you're really going to sell a major market to a major team with a major history like that, right? Like, 
the mental hoops you have to jump through to be pro owner or to both sides this and say, well, they both have fault at this point in time are just utterly exhausting. This is like top tier circus act level stuff. And it's just so difficult to continue to, to, continue to mire uh, and work through. And it's something you really have to be wary of. So I'm not sure I have Andrew Brandt's confidence that a deal is going to be reached soon. You know, TV deals don't come back to bite owners till the end of April. I think it's April 25th where they would start to uh, owe money to TV networks, regional networks for not broadcasting games. The idea that your business partner would lock you out like that if you're one of these regional networks, that might infuriate you and there might also be nothing you can do, right? Like, It's really the kind of position that ownership is in, one where you can't do anything about what they do no matter how much you dislike it or how ridiculous or outright wrong it is. So I'm not terribly confident the way Andrew Brandt is. I hope he's right. He's a really smart guy. He often has really good insights and he does have a good beat on things, even if it's not necessarily directly the sport he traffics in. But I don't know that I'm there with him on this one. Maybe it's a cynical thought. Maybe I've just been around baseball more explicitly or directly and long enough to see how anti-labor the owners are, to see how much they just want to extract from this game without being upfront about anything because they can. Because they can. Because that's what they can get away with. I hope we have some Major League Baseball soon, but I won't hold my breath. In the meantime, there is some college baseball in full swing, so maybe you can look around for some streams of that to appreciate and appreciate of course how crazy utterly insane metal bats are because that's what they play with um you know one other note as some news is coming in as we record mlb and the pa are set to meet tuesday um mlb is reportedly per mlbtr viewing tomorrow which is today as you listen to this at least this is tuesday the 8th of march in 2022 as the last chance for a 162 game season in addition it would also be the last uh, day to for players to accrue a full year of service time then to be pulled paid in full for 162 games and here's the thing deadlines are arbitrary one that was one of my favorite you know Cyrus pieces from forever ago saying seasons are arbitrary right like if we really zoom out, we really want to shape a narrative, we can. And that's kind of what ownership is doing here. The deadlines that they have imposed, the decisions that they have imposed are their deadlines and their decisions. And they can pass a voice at all they want. But they're responsible for it. So when they say it's the last chance tomorrow, Tuesday the 8th of March, to have 162 games and pay players for a full year and give them a full year's worth of service time to get them the free agency sooner. It's all just trying to squeeze more juice from this lemon that they've got. And they don't really have the authority to do that because these kinds of things have to be negotiated. And that's going to be a really critical thing. If you see these kinds of things coming up, you have to wonder, does the union need to agree to this? Or is this just the league blowing smoke? You can almost bet that it's going to be just the league blowing some smoke. But it's a worthwhile question to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, so I, I guess we'll have more news soon. I guess we'll have more non-news sooner than that because that's kind of how these things have worked to this point in time. 
And ultimately, I don't know, I think in my head every day, I know I mentioned this before in, in a previous episode, for as drastic and awful as it feels, I guess in some way, shape, or form, it is true that every day we go during this lockout is another day closer to Major League Baseball coming back. So I guess maybe we don't agree with Andrew Brandt's perspective that a deal will get done soon. Maybe things aren't lining up well to happen very quickly. But I guess it is also undeniable that every day additional is one more day closer to getting Major League Baseball back. So that's about all we've got this week. It is a shorter episode. It is a jam-packed week, uh, personally and professionally for me, and of course TC and working through a school year. Uh, and we'll be back with more updates soon. We promise. Uh, you know, we hope that you uh, keep track of us on Twitter at BreakingPodPL. Keep track of me at Tim Jackson says. Keep track of me at BP handling uh, the state of the position series wrapping up soon. Keep track of pitcher lists and all the incredible stuff coming out. And Nick's articles, of course, uh, his daily going deep as long as the lockout goes for his sake and sanity. I hope that isn't too, too long. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we're going to have like a, we're going to have to have a conditioning period for Nick to, to ease back down and, and into a, a, a sane schedule. Uh, so you can find us again at BreakingPodPL. You can email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. And if you leave a comment, you give us five stars. Again, does a ton in getting other people in on these conversations. We love that you choose to spend time with us. We love that you chose to spend time with us right now. And until next time, everybody, we hope you have the best weeks ever. That's all. We'll see you then.